Hi everybody, this is Gad Saad, uh, Saad Truth. Today I have another academic dissident, a dangerous person who dared speak her mind. What a grotesque uh, reality we live in where professors can actually be independent thinkers. It's disgusting and it must end. Francis Widowson, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's uh, great to to. I mean, we've met previously. Uh, I think you had uh, you were kind enough to come up to me and introduce yourself. I, I think it was at the Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I yes, was... and we did sit together at dinner. That that okay. one of the at a dinner, and I have a photo. I have a photo as proof. Ah, there you go. That there's the proof. Uh, so let me just give people who may not know of you, because uh, you know we I have an audience that uh, may not be knowledgeable about the Canadian situation in terms of the academic in Canada. Uh, so you were a professor at Mount Royal University from 2008 to 2021 in the Department of Economics, Justice, and Policy Studies. Whenever there is a word studies as part of a discipline, one should be suspect of that discipline. Uh, you were fired in December 2021, despite being a tenured professor. That's what we'll be spending most of today's chat discussing. Uh, your book's uh, Disrobing the Aboriginal Industry, the Deception Behind Indigenous Cultural Preservation, co-authored with your husband, Albert Howard, and more recently, Separate but Unequal, How Parallelist Ideology Conceals Indigenous Dependency. Did I cover the main point so far? Are we are we good? Yes, um, as well, uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but I edited a volume uh, called Indigenizing the University Diverse Perspectives, which... Uh, um, gets into the whole problem of indigenizing the university, uh, which is very important and uh, has contributed to debates on indigenization. Got you. Uh, now, just to kind of set the context, and then, of course, I'll cede the floor to you to to add all of the, the juicy, if not regrettable, details. Uh, you've been someone who, who's not been afraid to speak your mind throughout your career. Uh, you, you know, you, you haven't set out to be contrarian or insulting to anybody, but you, you're a truth seeker. You, you speak your mind. You thought that academics were protected from academic, uh, with, with academic freedom, with tenure. And of course, you found out that apparently uh, we're not. Now, some of the highlights that I took from your case, and as I said, I will cede the floor to you in a second, but these are some of the most hallucinatory uh, reasons that were given for your firing. In one case, you were questioning politely a colleague about how you incorporate indigenous star knowledge with uh, in an astronomy course. How would these two fit together? Because as part of the indigenization of the curriculum, we need to incorporate, infuse indigenous knowledge in everything. Uh, by the way, I wonder how we would incorporate indigenous knowledge within my work in evolutionary psychology, consumer psychology, and psychology of decision-making, uh, but that's for another time to discuss. You also did something that I think is truly horrible, maybe akin to a genocide. You did not capitalize indigenous, which was, <laughs> which for me, it's a, it's a form of linguistic genocide. You used, now I'd like to think that you got this from me because I, I believe that I'm the one who coined the DIE acronym. It's certainly very uh, prevalent in my book. You used the DIE acronym for diversity, <laughs> inclusion, and equity rather than EDI or D, uh, DEI, but you used one that's provocative. DIE is a, is a, is a offensive, uh, assaultative term. 
So those three. Here's another one that I really like. Uh, it's a quote from uh, Ran Rane. I don't know exactly. I, I hope that mispronouncing her name is not a form of uh, genocide. Uh, her name is Rane Watchman, who was an indigenous professor at your university. And she said that F. Widowson, yourself, did not acknowledge my presence at Mount Royal University for the first two years of my employment to ignore someone is to make them invisible. Now, this is quite interesting because I w I've been a visiting professor at uh, University of California, Irvine, at Dartmouth, at Cornell, and many of the professors there never came up to me to ever acknowledge my presence. So I wonder <laughs> if that, that's a form of uh, avert anti-Semitism. They were, they were make, rendering me invisible. So if that... If that reality is true, then maybe I have cause to go back and sue all those universities for rendering me invisible. You you were someone who critiqued the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and you've also been someone who has been quite critical of BLM and trans activism. Did I summarize everything and now take it away? The floor is yours. So I should probably elaborate upon this a little bit because those things that you're talking about, so... Um, with respect to my case, it's going to arbitration uh, on January 16th. I'm pushing hard for that arbitration to be made public so that we can all have a look at the documents that I have. I have extensive documentation going back to 2019. Um, I was investigated three times, and those are all parts of the investigation. So many of the things that you're talking about, those were form part of the complaints that I was investigated for. And there was no vetting as to whether, you know, capitalizing I and not capitalizing I and indigenous was harassment. It was just thrown in as part of the complaint. Um, in the end, that was not found to be harassing, um, but it formed the basis, like these kinds of accusations formed the basis of the investigation that, that then went on a kind of a, <clears throat> a hunt a hunt through my social media uh, kind of activity to find things which the investigator thought were harassing. I will give one example of something that was actually found to be harassing, which was one tweet, and this is on um, a website that's been developed about my case called wokeacademy.info, so www.wokeacademy.info. One tweet uh, what happened was is that um, my faculty association was going to be undertaking a workshop determining the extent to which white supremacy culture infiltrated the union, had infiltrated the union. This uh, invitation was sent to Jonathan Kate, not by me, but by another faculty member. Jonathan, Jonathan Kate, the Quillette uh, editor. Yes. Yes. So Jonathan Kay wrote a three-thread tweet mocking this white supremacy culture. And as he was doing this, he investigated who the person uh, who was going to be running the workshop was. And it turned out to be a person who called themselves they by they, them pronouns, who did pronouns workshops. And he had a link to the pronouns workshop. And when I looked at the link to the pronouns workshop, I found there was a cartoon on what was called misgendering fatigue, which had a cartoon character saying that misgendering was like having a brick put into your backpack. Every time you're misgendered, 
And at the end of the day, there were so many bricks in your backpack that you had to lay down because you were so weighed down by all these bricks. And it was like you're being crushed by the, you know, the unendering tyranny of the gender binary or something. It was absolutely ridiculous, this cartoon. So I satirized this cartoon saying that Jonathan Cave, people should not get mad at Jonathan Cave for for referring, referring to the they, them pronouns. This MRFA member was obviously suffering from misgendering fatigue, and Jonathan Kay was just am amplifying a TGBQ2S LMNOP voice um, to basically satirize this constantly expanding LGBTQ acronym but, but sat satire is a form of humor genocide no <laughs> anyway that one tweet and this is this is an actual thing that resulted in me getting fired was found to violate three mount royal university policies and two laws that one tweet two laws at the provincial level yes okay alberta occupational health and safety act Alberta Human Rights Act. That was an outside investigator that was hired by MRU who found that to be the case. And that was one of the strikes that resulted in me being fired. So many of the things you're talking about, I was investigated for and I had to, you know, and that one about the star knowledge, what happened is, is that I fortunately had been warned by one of my colleagues that I better start recording everything that I did publicly. Uh, and I had just bought a recorder right on the way to this talk, and I recorded my question about the star knowledge, and that became one of the allegations in a harassment complaint against me, and if I had not recorded that question, I could have been found to have been engaged in harassment, because the person who was making the allegations made up a whole bunch of stuff and said that I was being really disrespectful. And I was not. I have a recording that that proves wow. it. I was just asking for the, you know, how would like since Indigenous star knowledge is pre-telescope. That was my question. You know, how could it contribute to modern astronomy? Or was the the speaker just saying that we should study like an anthrop in an anthropology course? What? Um, how indigenous people perceived the stars historically. Like, which was it? Was it like a scientific thing or was it an anthropological thing? That was my question, and it was perfectly respectful and everything. But this um, uh, a scholar who uh, was an academic, was an indigenous person, was claiming I had been very insulting and so on and so forth. But because I'd recorded it, um, it was determined not to be harassed. So what were the specific, so you gave one example, uh, yes. you know, the satirical stuff that violated the two laws and three whatever. Uh, so yes. that that's one point, one strike against yes. you. Can yes. you give us a sense of the, the, the panoply of items that constitute why it is perfectly okay to violate the protection of academic freedom and tenure because you had done something so quote egregious that you had to be let go. What, what are all of those reasons? Yeah, so the, the, the first one, that was the first one. That was the first strike. Second strike was um, I uh, defended the journalist Wendy Mesley uh, for her reference to the Pierre Valliere's book title, White Niggers of America. 
So I, I defended Mesley. This caused um, uh, a faculty member who was indigenous to mobilize an anonymous student group against me to try to get me fired at Mount Royal. There was about 30 professors that were part of this mob trying to get me fired. And just to be and clear, what, so that people, so the listeners who may not understand what you were just saying, because you said it kind of in passing, the, yeah. the, the use of the N-word that you're using is part of a title of a book. So you are simply yeah. enunciating what the title yeah. of that book. It's not as though you are hurling that racial slur at someone, correct? Yes, that's right. This could not be accepted, This the fact that I was using and mentioning this word in a way that was completely acceptable academically. And it was very annoying because Pierre, Pierre Valliere his book title was had a purpose. It had a rhetorical purpose for it to show that really insults and so on to uh, racial racialized people of certain races, often it was connected to class. So you didn't have to be a black person. Like he's talking about the working class in Quebec and how they were treated like black people were treated in the United States. So it was had a very sophisticated me message, and I don't think that should be censored. Anyway, this indigenous academic went after me and tried to mobilize everyone. And what happened is, is that because no one would uh, rationally discuss this issue of the use mentioned distinction, I, uh, they started to just, just uh, form this mob to try to get me fired. And I started to satirize this efforts by this indigenous academic to get me fired. So for example, with my character, Francis McGrath, so, and Francis McGrath is modeled on the Titania McGrath character of Andrew Doyle. So she would call me an epistemic terrorist and I would congratulate her enthusiastically as Francis McGrath for calling me, you know, and so I'd say, yes, that epistemic terrorist, Francis Whittleson should be fired. So I engaged in this kind of thing. Every time she would insult me, I would use her words and have Francis McGrath congratulate her for her doing this so she she was harassing me yet she filed a complaint against me and i was accused of harassing her that was number two yikes so number one you you use the n-word in reference to a title that uses the n-word but then you did the double whammy of again getting using your satire to get you into trouble so in both of these two cases what is clear is that satire in modern day Canada is forbidden if it is in the service of mocking someone else's idea, if that other person is of a protected class. So, so satire is okay, but if I satire, if I satirize some white person, that's perfectly fine. If you satirize someone that should never be questioned, then it becomes a strike against you, correct? Yes, and in fact, it is, it's now argued that it's discrimination under human right this is the this is what's being argued by these investigators is gotcha. that satirizing an idea of someone who is perceived to be oppressed that is discriminating against that person let so me that has to all be sorted out yeah so i i let me mention a, a story that speaks to this before you go on with your other points the your other strikes i yeah. once posted a clip of an iraqi astronomer who was arguing that it is absolutely unequivocally clear from the Quran that the earth is flat. 
And so I, <laughs> and so I put now this is an Iraqi astronomer. And so his, of course, the Quran superseded his scientific knowledge. And so I posted this to kind of demonstrate what happens to people when they are parasitized by various dogma. So a, you know, super progressive, uh, white, ultra woke scientist whom I, I knew who followed me. This was on my personal Facebook page. She wasn't indignant at the fact that a fellow scientist would espouse such an insane position such as the earth is flat. I'm paraphrasing her position now. She said, you know, she kind of re rebutted my original uh, post. She said, why is it that you are attacking uh, those folks, right? In other words, you know, Muslims are marginalized and they are, you know, you know, helpless victims. And what what's the point of you putting up such a, a uh, you know, a, a link? So she wasn't indignant at the insanity of him arguing that the earth is flat, she was indignant at my sharing the clip of him pointing. So how could we move forward before you go on? I, I really want you to cover the full uh, uh, strikes against you. How can we recover from this, Francis? <laughs> uh, well, you know, this is a very, very difficult situation that we're currently in, which has been kind of unfolding since the 6th. Of course. With, and you've mentioned, I've listened to your materials, you know very well, but the audience might not. Postmodernism, Lacan, Foucault, Derrida, with their relativism, undermined the academic character of the universities and made us helpless to defend ourselves from these this what these kinds of uh, parasites and everything entering into our minds like so we're, we have to fight back against that as hard as we possibly can now before people start to get thrown in jail for the various things that are happening and this is where it's going so you know academics who are listening to this the time is now and journalists as well. Journalists have been also, you know, taken over by this. Be be we need to fight back against this. Before we go on with your list of strikes, since you made a passionate plea here for, you know, academics to step in, give us a sense. I mean, I already know the answer to this question, but our viewers may not. Give us a sense of how many, you don't have to name names and so on, but how many of our fellow academics have stood up in defense of your positions? Well, 23 faculty members at Mount Royal signed a, a letter for me to remain in the faculty association. So that's at your home university, 23 yes. out of, how many How many faculty members are there in your university? Uh, I think there's 800, but there's 400 full-time faculty members. So we can certainly say an extraordinary minority thought that it was sufficiently important to stand for the principles of academic freedom and freedom of speech and so on. So that's, that's at your university. In the greater population, in the greater ecosystem of academics, how many have publicly said, I stand with Francis Whittleson? Um, there's, there's quite a few, like the, for, for comparatively compared to other people's cases, um, you know, there's probably a couple of hundred, I guess. So I, uh, so do you, do you, do you take solace in that, in that at least there are, you know, a sizable minority who are defending you or are, are, are you dismayed 
that so few in comparison to all possible professors who could speak in defending you are doing so? What, what, what is it? Ha, glass half empty or half full? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I should, in their defense, and the people who are not defending me's defense, I should say that Mount Royal has implied that I was a harasser and a discriminator, right? So people are not quite sure what I did. Like, this is one of the big problems, and this is why it's so important that the arbitration be public, is that a whole bunch of people have been smearing me for years as a racist and a white supremacist and so on, and a person who's, like, engaged in all these harassing and discriminatory activities. So people are worried a little bit that, hey, you know, like, Mount Royal wouldn't, like, why would Mount Royal have fired fired her if she hadn't done something terrible she obviously must have done something terrible so this is part of the problem is the secrecy is the secrecy prevents people from understanding the actual content of the case and that's why it's so important for me to be having these conversations with with people like you now is that you know there are people out there who think or thinking that I did something wrong I did nothing wrong right. <laughs> It was, I was the one who was being, if you're going to call it harassment, if you're going to call social media activities harassment, it was, I was being harassed for, I was being harassed for four years, four or five years at Mount Royal, and Mount Royal did nothing to protect me wow. from the harassment. Okay, so let's this go. This kind of has to come out. Got you. Well, I'm, I'm happy to do my small part. Uh, uh, give us all of the remaining strikes. Okay, yeah. Okay, so this is, so I did the two. Uh, which was the one tweet, satirizing misgendering feed, the second, uh, defending myself against this uh, indigenous academic who was trying to get me fired. Then what happened is when I got the two findings that this social media activity was harassing, because I had had endured all this for four years, social media activity, calling me a pathetic racist and all this, and, um, and I had been alerting Mount Royal to this like like I didn't want anyone to be punished because I was a free speech advocate but I was sort of telling them look my work environment is being poisoned I'm just letting you know this right because I wanted everything to be very clear as to what was happening when that happened when I got those two findings I said okay Mount Royal is going to see social media as uh, grounds for harassment they're going to pursue this I want all those other people who have been, you know, engaged in these social media activities to also be held to the same standard, to be, for there to be things to be uh, done fairly. So I filed 18 complaints against other colleagues for their social media activities. Six of those colleagues uh, were found to be harassers, and one of them was Renee Watchman. So this is the other frustrating thing, as Renee Watchman was found to be a harasser for um, encouraging people to go to my publishers, to threaten my publishers for publishing my books. That's right. what Renee Watchman had done, um, according to the investigator. Um, and then uh, Renee Watchman then filed a retaliatory complaint against me for filing a complaint against her. And that was the one with the I and the indigenous and the DI acronym and so on. This was investigated. 
even though Mount Royal knew that Renee Watchman had filed this complaint in retaliation, they, they went and investigated it. And then the investigator went through all my social media activities and found a number of social media comments to be harassing. And the most significant one, which is on the wokeacademy.info website, was a satirical reply that I had written to uh, an anonymous student group, an open letter to Mount Royal University. So that was the anonymous student group. It's wanted mandatory anti-racism training and all sorts of kind of woke initiatives to be brought in. 62 faculty members signed that open letter. And I did the satirical reply saying, um, George Orwell had come to me in a dream and he said, well, he knew that I was a fan of his. That was not the right way. It was intersectional postmodern theory that was the right way. And so then I said, after doing a territorial land acknowledgement and praying to the creator, posting my pronouns on Twitter, and adding a condemnation of racism to my syllabi, I have decided upon the right path for Mount Royal. And I could not sign their open letter because open letters were part of the white cis heteropatriarchal system. What I would propose is an oppression point system where all faculty members would be awarded one point for being white, one point for being cis, one for being male, one for being a full professor. And those who scored higher than three points on the oppression point scale should do the right thing and resign their positions. And I, <laughs> I attached this, um, this uh, all, the all the people who had signed the letter I blacked out their names so you couldn't see it, right. but and there was a large, there was about 40% who were very highly privileged on the oppression point scale. Um, so that was found to be harassing. Right, because because by mocking each and every one of those ideologies, you're making those people feel unsafe, you're rendering them invisible, you're further marginalizing them. That That's the general gist of, of that? Yeah. Okay. yeah, that was creating a toxic environment environment um which you know like twitter is not work right <laughs> um so that was number uh three uh that was number so renee watchman number three uh that was uh that was part of her complaint the satirical letter was part of her complaint and then number four was one of my complaints was found to be frivolous and vexatious so of the 18 complaints that you filed against other yeah. people, one of those 18 was frivolous. Yeah. So that so that's a violation of what? It, uh, the personal harassment policy. Okay. So generally speaking, each of those four strikes is in one way or another, a, a, a it falls under the umbrella of harassment or unsafe and toxic. And, and, and discriminant and also human rights policy is brought in because it involves uh, marginalized groups. I should also add as a final thing, so those were what the investigators found. Those were the findings of the investigators, which resulted in, uh, which, which are going to be the subject of the arbitration in January. An interesting thing happened, and this is also on the wokeacademy.info site. 
in my final disciplinary meeting with the provost, which I recorded, and that recording is available, which people can listen to, it's quite a shocker in its yes. own right. I, I, I where, have received that recording. <laughs> where it's, it's public. Yes. Uh, and they knew I was recording it, too. It was yeah. not done secretly. Um, the provost tried to get me to accept responsibility and to show remorse for my actions. And I said, uh, I cannot accept responsibility because Mount Royal never promulgated its rules as to what it expected. And I had been enduring harassment, if we're going to call it that, for four years. So how am I supposed to know that social media is not is now considered to be a workplace issue? And I can't show remorse because I was just defending myself. From so, so sorry, from just to make sure. So if the provost gave you an opportunity to go through a self-flagellation struggle session, yeah. if you go through that, then we don't fire you? Is that the idea? I don't know. No, like but I mean, was, was that the implication that if, if you showed contriteness and you were remorseful and you did so publicly, then the, the gun of firing you wouldn't be pulled? Well, one of the, uh, I don't know, but uh, one of the, counts on my termination letter from President Raleigh was that I did not accept responsibility for my actions or show remorse. So that was one of the counts as to why I was fired. So that counts as strike five. You had the four and then you there don't was, show... Uh, 12, there were 12, 12 strikes. Okay, 12, okay. Well, we don't need to go to all but of they it. added more. Like, the, the thing was is that those... The, I can only be... The firing is going to be, the discussion of it is only going to be the four that I talked about because those are the ones that I was actually investigated for and there were findings from investigators. The other things were added later as a way of kind of ratcheting up and buttressing the obviously nonsensical kinds of claims that were being made by the investigators. And the most interesting one was a meeting and that's the other thing the provost, the provost just said to me in this meeting that my dean had told her that many people now were refusing to work with me. And I never heard this. My, the dean had never discussed this with me at all, just went to the provost with this, evidently. When I asked for the provost to provide evidence of what she was talking about, she said, oh, well, we can't get into that here. Uh, and then she, what happened on the, on the termination letter is they mentioned an arts faculty council meeting of March 2021. And I recorded that meeting and I recorded the chat in that meeting as well. And what happened is, is that one uh, faculty member was saying that they were working to make sure that Indigenous scholars felt safe at Mount Royal, how, how could they do this? And one of the things that had been made against me, the allegation, I've been investigated for supposedly making indigenous scholars feel unsafe for criticizing indigenous science. Right. This was a allegation. So in the meeting I asked, you know, I've just got a book, Indigenizing the University, that's come out. And in that there's a chapter by Massimo Piucci who says there's no such thing as indigenous science. There's there's science, which is a universal. And as soon as you put an ethnic adjective or Western or whatever, it's you're you're getting at something that's not science. Would this be considered to be unsafe by indigenous scholars? That was the question. All these faculty members became completely irate 
and started putting in the chat this was terrible and this was laughable and insulting what I was saying and how dare I say this. So they were the ones who were harassing me at this meeting. I was just asking, trying to get clarification on what was unsafe. That meeting was used as one of the strikes against me, which was totally made up. So there's a bunch of things like that, which I'd never even heard of before that were just added on to this resignation letter. But those are not going to be things that are that are looked at in the arbitration, I don't think, because um, they're only going to look at those four strikes that I was actually disciplined for um, in official in the official context. So let me uh, let me I mean, of course, your your case is a uniquely personal one since you are the one who is suffering at what's happening to you. But of course, there are broader lessons that we can take from this. So let me maybe take a, a minute or two to uh, to offer some insights as to why your case has some universal lessons that need to be truly internalized and understood. And I've made this point on many occasions, but it's worth repeating here in, in, context, in the context of your case. So in, in ethics, as you may know, Francis, some of my viewers may also know because they've heard me say this before, but others may not. There are two systems of ethics, deontological ethics and consequentialist ethics. The reason why I keep hammering this point is because it speaks not only to your case and the violations involved in your case, but it speaks to violations that have occurred throughout authoritarian regimes. Deontological ethics are absolute truths, right? So, for example, the, the, the principle of presumption of innocence in a, in a fair justice system is a deontological statement. It could never be violated for absolutely no consequentialist reasons. And so the, the key foundations of Western societies, what made the West the anomaly that it is in the historical context, is that there, were, there are a set, although they are being very quickly eradicated, there is a set of deontological principles on which the foundations of Western values are, are, are built on. And once you erase or create fissures in those deontological statements, the game is over. Now, consequentialism is where you, for example, so if I say it is never okay to lie as a deontological statement, a consequentialist bent to lying would be, well, it's okay to lie if you're trying to spare someone's feelings. So, for example, if your spouse asks, do I look fat in those jeans? And you say, no, 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 you don't. You're the most beautiful I've ever seen you. I may be lying, but I'm sparing the feelings of my spouse whom I love. And therefore, most rational people will navigate through deontological principles and through consequentialist principles. But what is absolutely inviolable is to ever put on a consequentialist hat for deontological truths. So academic freedom and freedom of speech are one of those deontological statements, principles that could never be violated for consequentialist reasons. So it's not you, Francis Widowson has freedom of speech, as Mount Royal said, but not if it hurts other people's feelings, which of course they couch as harassment and targeted, whatever, all the, the BS, right? Let me stand here and repeat something that is astronomically more triggering than anything you've ever said. There is no possible more offensive statement than the following one. And I say this as a Jewish person who escaped execution in Lebanon. Denying the Holocaust, which is the most documented uh, historical reality that one could imagine, so it's there is no debate about it, where 
a wholesale people were truly being exterminated at scales never seen before. So one could never make a statement that is more offensive than that. Making fun of star knowledge is a minuscule ant compared to denying the Holocaust. Now, what, listen to this, Francis. I, as a Jewish person, stand in supporting the right of Holocaust deniers to spew their utter bullshit. Why? Because I'm an absolutist when it comes to freedom of speech. As much as I might find that position regrettable, diabolical, offensive, insulting, that's the price you pay for standing firm on deontological principles. So if the morons and imbeciles at your university can hear what I'm saying, you never <laughs> violate deontological principles. That's what made our societies great. So all that we're getting from your story is exactly the repudiation of the defense of these, those deontological principles. Yes, of course, Francis has freedom of speech, but not when it comes to hurting the feelings of people that we've considered sacred. They're, not, they're no more sacred than I am, than you are. That's what makes equal under the law another inviolable tenet, the ontological tenet. Does that seem like the ultimate lesson for the case that you are currently going through, regrettably? Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, and I totally agree with you there. I, I, I think it's, it's just a huge destruction of everything that humans can strive for to be doing these sorts of things. You know, there are um, speech like speech that is shown to incite violence again you know we can we can say yes and and i've heard brendan o'neill who as a person i have a lot of respect for um spiked on who's a spiked columnist you know talk about you got to even be careful there like you know is the speech really is it just kind of being done in a funny way like you know the the guy who's doing the gas the jews with his dogs yeah 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 from your like like that's obviously not like he's a it's a joke it's not like saying let's get a bunch of people together to kill some Jews right yeah. like that's not so you got to be very careful even in those contexts but if you do have a situation like that okay fine but that's about it that's it like yeah. I really can't see anything else because you can't you know once you start saying but then it's all no over well I mean that that's uh, that's so so being a free speech absolutist means exactly what you said there's only a few caveats to the absolutism of freedom of speech. Number one, you can't directly incite violence, right? It's not my satire marginalizes you and therefore my, right? So if I say, hey guys, there is a synagogue at the corner of streets A and B. They come out of shul, their, their prayers at 4 p.m. Let's all meet there and go burn that's direct incitement, right? So it can't be implied, it can't be inferred, it can't be that disagreeing with you becomes a form of epistemological terrorism, therefore that's a form of incitement, right? No, it's very direct. It has to be specific and targeted to, it's, that's very actionable, number one. Number two, you can't engage in defamation and li uh, libelous stuff, right? So, it, so I'm not protected by freedom of speech by saying, look, I've got very good reasons to believe that Francis is a pedophile. Yeah. Well, if I do that, that doesn't protect me. And of course, the usual, the fire in the theater, screaming fire. So short of that, 
anything goes. So, so the extent to which your case demonstrates how much they're not adhering to the deontological principle of academic freedom, freedom of speech, tenure protection is astounding because you so fall below the bar of what would constitute any of those deontological principles. Do, do you think, so let's say now you go through, the arbitration, by the way, is, is, is an internal one through the university or it's at the provincial level? What's the level of the arbitration? Yeah, so it's provincial. Um, it's going to be 10 hearing days. Uh, it's, 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 I'm pressing hard for it to be public. They're trying to keep it private, of course, because they don't want, if it's private, it's going to, there's going to be serious problems because all the documents I have, because I was ready for this to happen. I've been keeping records of everything since 2000, uh, since 2016 are some records, but since 2019, everything, everything's been recorded since 2019. All the investigation meetings have been recorded and I want those to become public uh, so that people can see the kind of things that go on um, in the case of the Renee Watchman and Renee, I'm making going to make the Renee Watchman thing completely public because Renee Watchman is no longer at Mount Royal University. She's at McMaster. She left because she couldn't handle how threatening yes. you were, correct? She said that she had to hide in the stairwell. Right to avoid me because she was so afraid of coming, of passing me in the hallway. Phys- physically, right? I mean, you're a physical threat to her, not just an epistemological. I mean, you're, you're, you look like a very daunting person. I mean, I would be scared shitless if I had to meet you. I don't know. Like for, for people like who are woke with this extreme woke virus that's, that's, that's going through people's minds, they don't notice the difference. Right. Like they, they really do, I think, believe that for you to question indigenous science is the same thing. And it may even be worse than punching them in the face right. because their whole being is now crumbling and they, they're, they're going to commit suicide right? because they doubt themselves so much and they feel there's nothing to live for anymore. Like this kind of thing is like, you don't have a clue, you know, and in terms of safety, if people want to talk about safety, um, there's another thing that is going to come is already out there, but people often don't know this is on December 20th, 2021, I was invigilating an exam and I was accosted I was ambushed outside my exam by an administrator who then asked me to step into a classroom at 5.30 in the evening. In that classroom were two human resources people and I didn't have my union representative there. And so I said, there's no way I'm staying here to, to, to deal with this until I get my union representative. They tried to stop me, or this administrator tried to stop me from lead, lead from leaving which created a massive panic uh, in terms of my, because I thought I was going to be forced to stay there. I ran out of the room. I went back to my office. I was followed by a whole group of uh, MRU administrators and two security guards who stood at either side of the hallway. And I called 911 that night because I was so terrorized by what they were doing. That's, and I was, like for a month afterwards, I was very, very shaken. Like now, I, I just re- thinking about that now, I, I start to become a little bit emotional about it. Um, but I, you know, I'm just saying, look, I'm, I'm, 
I'm over this and I am going to hold this university to account for what it's done. But do the people who are woke, who are going on and on about safety, do they not think that that which happened to me on the evening of December 20th, do they not think that that was a seriously unsafe situation? What I was put through by looks like around five to 10 administrators. No, I can I can answer on their behalf, right? Because they put on their consequentialist hat. You're <laughs> such a demon that anything that you go through, boo hoo hoo, right? You 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 brought this upon I yourself. Deserved it. You deserve this. So so no, it, the answer is no. There was no violation there. Now, if one were, and forgive me for asking this, I'm only doing it for you know, to in a sense to protect you. If one were to go through a fine tooth and comb through everything that you've ever said or written, could one find anything that's racist, transphobic, and other isms in any way? Not not using the woke calculus, using any standard of a decent, uh, you know, quote liberal with a big like a pro- properly liberal person, would one find anything? So, I suspect not. Correct. No, um, the problem is, of course, as you you referred to, is the definitions exactly. have been so corroded and postmodernized that you know things don't mean what we think they mean anymore. Right. Right. So, you know, I've done some very edgy satire. Uh, you know, for example, um, and this is one of the things that a student complained about, which I presume is part of what, you know, one of the strikes against me getting fired, is Titania McGrath, Andrew Doyle's character, had a, a tweet where uh, he was, or Titania, the character, was dressed in lingerie and had it was wearing a niqab, uh, well, dressed in lingerie, and was holding a sign saying, sluts for Islam, please join me in my slut walk. Uh, against Islamophobia. So that was the Titania McGrath tweet, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Frances McGrath retweeted that, saying, right on, my sister-in-law is once again leading the way. ISIS are some of, you know, one cannot be a true feminist without supporting Islamicism. Yes. ISIS members are some of the most oppressed people on earth. Indeed. Some have even been jailed for their beliefs. <laughs> so there again, I mean, l- big lesson for you is satire is verbose. I mean, that this satire of yours has really gotten you into a lot of trouble, hasn't it? So this was seen to be Islamophobic. Yes, indeed. By a bunch of students and all sorts of things. And I wasn't even saying Islam. I was saying Islamicism. So right. What I was getting at there was the fundamentalist position that you should believe everything that the Quran says is true. Like, like you should see the Quran as the word of God. Right. If you see the Quran as the word of God, then that's... Please, please say, God. whenever you say Quran, please please put noble Quran before it. Don't be disrespectful. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, given us, I'm from the Middle East. Uh, the noble faith should not be disrespected on my watch. Uh Okay, so let's suppose you win the arbitration. Yeah. What would what would that entail? They 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 rescind your firing and you're back amongst the vipers. I mean, what? Yes. What, what, I mean, if you lose the arbitration, you lose. If you win the arbitration, 
you lose because you're back at Mount Royal. So it's a lose. I don't lose though. Like this is what people don't understand is that I was perfectly happy to, you know, and I'm happy to go back there. Like I'm like the provost is telling me that my employment, the employment relationship is no longer viable. And I'm saying, I don't see what the problem is. I am uh, doing my teaching, which is going very well. I'm doing my research and, you know, I'm happy to work with my colleagues, even those that have, treated me terribly i'm perfectly happy to let everything drop of course you know there's going to need to be some protections for me but there won't be francis so that, well, that, i'm just going to have to face that i'm i'm incredibly thick-skinned and i've done in these meetings i would just go to meetings and ask questions about how what, what you know i just i'm trying to get people to articulate their defense I can't remember. Position. I can't remember. Got you. I can't remember the name of the gentleman who recently, uh, you know, was uh, catapulted into the public sphere. He was a a lawyer, a conservative lawyer, who was hired by Georgetown University to. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Do you, do you know the case? Yeah, Is I it do. Ilya Epstein. Shapiro. Shapiro. Shapiro? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So he he. So just for the viewers who may not be familiar with the case, he was hired by Georgetown. They knew about some of his conservative positions, but they specifically wanted to hire him so that they can have kind of a, a, a center where, you know, multi, you know, all political views were possibly tackled and so on. But then at one point he put out a tweet that uh, admittedly was poorly, you know, worded, but his intentions were clearly non-racist and so on. The same mob that came after you, I mean, not the same people, but the same kind of mechanism led to them uh, firing him. This is before he even started his job. So, But then they rescinded that firing. But then he took the position, well, I'm not going to come back to Georgetown because there is, it will be an impossible situation because either I'm going to have to self-censor or the next time that I write a tweet that you don't like, we'll be back to the drawing boards of, of so on. So it seems to me, notwithstanding the fact that you've got the thick skin, notwithstanding the fact that you can handle any ire that comes your way, that it, and I, I don't mean, I don't presume to offer you unsolicited advice, but it seems like it would be an impossible situation because are you going to allow Francis uh, McGrath to be as satirical uh, or are you going to self-censor yourself once you go back? Well, the, the provost gave me, and this is what is so annoying, is on May 2021, the provost gave me direction as to what the expectations were for my behavior on social media. So as far as I'm concerned, everything I did on campus, um, there's no problem with that. That's, that's no, all the investigators found that I was not a harasser or whatever on campus. Uh, so the big issue uh, for the arbitration is going to be are social media activities on your private account? Is that a workplace matter? Right. The My answer only- has to be no. I mean, how, yeah. I mean, again, deontological principle, how could that? So if you are a professor, you lose the capacity to be an individual with individual dignity and personal agency yeah. and decide to express your freedom of yeah. speech in any way you want on your social media. How could that work? I know. And it's just, they don't own us. The university does not own us. If we're going to be speaking on behalf of the university, if we're going to be doing something in some kind of professional capacity, okay, we can talk about that. But your social media activity, and if they're going to use that standard... 
every single professor across the land is going to be, you know, basically subject to disciplinary action because people are not using social media as a professional. Here's the difference, though. Most professors don't have the fortitude, the personality, the temerity to actually ever say something of any interest to any human being other than to their reviewers and their mom. Therefore, there is no violation that takes place because they're as bland as paint. And therefore, it's not really a global issue because most professors will never say something that would be, you know, will draw the ire of the HR departments. The problem is with those few irreverent professors who actually yeah. have what's called a multidimensional personality where they yeah. could be funny, where they could be irreverent, where they yeah. could be shocking, where they could be contrarian. Now, yeah. what such a rule would do if you were to say that, oh, your personal space is part of the umbrella under which we command what you can do or not do is that it would it would put all such irreverent people uh, you know on notice and that's it i mean nothing could be more devastating than that right i mean the whole point of academic freedom and freedom of speech is to be able to do that now incidentally you know look the way that I straddle that balance is that I make sure that I've got a very clear delineation between my professorial duties. So I don't ever walk into class and do anything that's outside the bounds of exactly what I'm mandated to do yeah. when, when I'm putting on my professor's hat. I'm, I'm yeah. mandated to teach an evolutionary consumer psychology course that's what I'm doing. I won't utter a syllable. That's not because I'm afraid or what, because I, there's a professional ethic that suggests that the students who are in my class don't need to be, uh, in, uh, you know, uh, exposed to my personal views and so on. And therefore, it's all good. Now, you try to come after me when I express my right as a private citizen, good luck to you. So I think your case, if I may say, Francis, needs to be much more than you know, redressing what's happened to you, which of course on a personal level is important. You are actually fighting for a much bigger cause. And so I wonder if you've thought about this beyond the arbitration, a massive lawsuit for you, for your human rights having been violated and so on. Is this something that you are contemplating doing or are willing to talk about here? Yeah, like I I haven't, like I'm just so busy right now. It's, you know, I'm trying to lay the groundwork for the six because my case, as far as I'm concerned, my case must be won. If it's not won, it's over. Like really people, you know, all eyes on the arbitration, January 16th, this has to win. Um, in terms of my reinstatement, that would be a huge victory to be in reinstated. And again, although people are saying, Oh, you know, this, this, how can you do that? Like, I, it was fine, um, you know, and people got annoyed when I asked questions and they can get annoyed. There's nothing I'm not. I, that's their own emotional response. But they can't stop me from asking the questions, which is kind of what's happening. Like so instead of seeing the kind of growing totalitarianism as the problem, which everyone should see, everyone sees me as this kind of crank who goes around you know, it, and as I've said several times, they're treating me as if I'm a, a flat earther 
you know, showing up at all these meetings trying to demand that the, you know, people justify the roundness of the earth. Right. When what I'm trying to get them to justify is things like indigenous science, which there's been no justification at all of this concept. We have all sorts of policies now, which is that we must respect and value indigenous ways of knowing. We must change tenure processes so that indigenous ways of knowing can be recognize so it's like well what are these indigenous ways of knowing do they meet the standard of scholarly undertakings that other quote unquote ways of knowing do like like we have standards to determine whether um there's this belief is justified or not yes does that meet that and no one everyone just gets angry uh -huh. and pretends that i and says that i'm a racist and a white supremacist and so on which, as far as I'm concerned, is a defamatory kind of statement. And immediately when that starts to happen, you know, the administrator should protect me and say, hey, you know, you're entitled to your ways of knowing kinds of arguments. But Frances Widowson is an academic and she's asking questions which she's entitled to ask as an academic. Exactly. I, I have a section that and, and to, 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 to the imbeciles who might say, oh, Gatsad is trying to promote his book. I don't need to use this chat to promote my international best-selling book. I'm doing it because it's very relevant to Francis's case. I have a whole section in my book where I talk about this indigenization issue. I'd like to read a, a paragraph, if I may. Uh, there is a growing push across Canadian universities to indigenize the curricula. That is meant as a conciliatory response to past historical grievances against the indigenous people. According to such a view, the scientific method is only one of many ways of knowing. Other forms of knowing, including those that might belong within the folklore and mythology of indigenous people, people are peddled as equally valid forms of discovery. I'm here to tell you that no, they are not. Of course, indigenous people do have unique insight about the flora and fauna of lands on which they've lived for generations, and it is perfectly reasonable to presume that such content-specific local knowledge is extremely valuable and worthy of learning and sharing. However, the manner by which scientific information is codified within the pantheon of human knowledge is not culture-specific. Patrick Beauchene, a Quebec deputy minister, was recently severely rebuked for daring to question how indigenous knowledge might be evaluated against scientific knowledge when conducting environmental impact studies. Apparently, he was guilty of supporting, quote, a hierarchy of knowledges, close quote. I'm almost over, Francis. The scientific method is the universal epistemological framework for understanding the world around us. Science does not care about the privileged position of ancestral wisdom, tribal knowledge, and the way of the elders. There are no revealed truths in science. There is no Lebanese Jewish way of knowing any more than there is an indigenous way of knowing. All claims about the natural world must pass through the evidentiary prism of the scientific method. There you yes. go. There That's you hate go. speech. That's hate speech. So I, I guess I will wait for my tribunal. Uh, Francis, maybe last question before I let you go. Uh, what is it in your unique personhood that makes you the honey badger that you are? I, I like I, I didn't used to be this way. Uh, like I, I, and it's kind of an interesting thing for people to think about. Like, like uh, uh, Albert Howard, who I met in the '90s, 
he really encouraged me to stand my ground. Like I used to be, and I guess this is gets into Jordan Peterson's discussion of personalities, um, especially women, I've heard, have this trait called agreeableness. Yes. And I used to be very worried about, you know, opposing authority, and it was part of my upbringing. And, you know, uh, Albert Howard said to me, if you're right, if you feel you're right, you should fight it out, you know, and if you're shown to be wrong, then just say, well, I made a mistake or whatever. There's no harm in that. But for people who think they're right and don't fight for what they think is true, there's not a more soul destroying kind of situation. And, and once I learned that, that I could stand my ground, fight for what I thought was true. And then if I was not true, I should just give give it up immediately and say okay that that that's i understand that i was wrong there that's a hugely liberating kind of way of thinking indeed. about it indeed because then you can anchor yourself to something some kind of aspirational kind of um lodestar and not succumb to all this sort of bullying and as you say you know hive mind and all this cowardice and everything that's going on so that changed my life to to think things like that like to think in that way is that you should, you know, fight for what you think is true and not back down uh, until you're shown to be wrong. You should continue to fight for what you think is true. Well, tip of the hat to Mr. Howard. Uh, if there is anything that people can do to support you, would you like to take this opportunity to plug anything that you'd like? Yes, yes, yes. So I have a fundraiser. Um, I'm, I need. I, I have a lawyer and a research assistant, an excellent research assistant whose name is, is Kirsten Kramer, who has helped me so much. And I have other advisors too. I don't want to name them because they, they might not want to have their names mentioned. Um, anyway, Kurt, uh, Dr. Kramer and my lawyer, Carol Crossan, um, are uh, writing briefs for the Canadian Association of University Teachers, and we need funding uh, to be able to do that. So uh, the Woke Academy uh, site, so www.wokeacademy.info, um, the Francis Widowson firing episodes, there's about 17 episodes on there which give background on what's happened, but it also has a link to the fundraiser. And that would be very, very helpful. All the things that I do are going to be made public, so it's not even for my own benefit. It's for the benefit of all professors who are going through similar uh, things at, at various universities across the country. And there are many. We never hear about them. Uh, but there are many uh, professors struggling who need to have access to this kind of, of information, which will help them in their cases. Wonderful. So let me just remind people uh, the, the old aphorism of, you know, I may disagree with you, but I will defend your right to do so. Not that I'm implying that I disagree with you, but for anyone who may disagree with your views, that is completely immaterial. In a free society, we have to be able to tolerate the dissenting voices uh, with whom we might disagree. So whether you like what Francis has said and her satire or you don't that is utterly irrelevant because if her right to be irreverent to orthodoxy is taken away they're coming for you next thank you so much Francis for having the courage to stand for your principles it was a pleasure talking to you stay on the lines uh, offline well I'd like to say goodbye thank you so much it was a great conversation I really appreciate coming for you coming on the show thanks for having me on cheers